I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to the Billboard Charpy Podcast, Gary Trust, Billboard Senior Director of Charts. And hey guys, it's Trevor Anderson, a chart manager here at Billboard. And this is where we talk about why what's on the charts is on the charts. Uh, we talked a little Oscars at the beginning of the show last week. I guess, Trevor, we're going to talk a whole lot more about Oscars this week. Yeah, I mean, hopefully by now everyone's, uh, I guess, caught up on the Oscars. You've had about a week and a half to, to watch them. Big news, of course, in the music world is that, as expected, no upsets in the original song category for Lady Gaga and Friends, who took home their first Oscar for Shallow. And, of course, I'm sure many Gaga fans have been, were really patiently waiting to see the results of what happened, and it pays off for them on the charts as well. Yep. Uh, number one on the Hot 100. We'll run down uh, the whole top 10 coming up, but Shallow. Gaga and Bradley Cooper, number one for the first time on the Billboard Hot 100 uh, after a long climb. But uh, after the Oscars, the song goes to number one. Also, uh, the Star is Born soundtrack hits number one again on the Billboard 200. So we're going to cover all things uh, from Born This Way to A Star is Born. Lady Gaga, this week. A Star is Born This Way. Uh, uh, we're going to try to figure out uh, over 10 years into her career, is this Lady Gaga's best chart week ever? She's had so many achievements over the years, but has she outdone herself? So we're, we're going to run down some of uh, what she does this week, what she's done in the past, and uh, see if we can uh, get an answer. Good problem to have when you have as many uh, achievements as Lady Gaga. So uh, we'll talk about that. Uh, plus, the song debuts on the Pop Songs Airplay chart this week that looks like it might have a chance to debut maybe at number one on the Hot 100 next week. Certainly uh, headed for a big debut. We'll see uh, – We'll see if that's possible. Uh, maybe number one. Uh, also, our special guest is songwriter Sam DeRosa, who's now a record setter. She co-wrote "Lovely" the band's "Broken," which just rewrote the mark for the most weeks ever spent on the alternative songs chart. So we're going to talk to Sam, find out how the song came about, how it was written, and how she's made uh, chart history. Now, uh, if that's not enough. We'll also hear from a member of a record-setting group who was making history in the Billboard 200 this week. Back in 1982. It's all coming up on the Billboard Charpy Podcast this week. First, let's recap this week's top 10 on the Billboard Hot 100. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Number 10. Yeah. 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 
gone on you with the pick and roll. Younger flame, he in sickle mode. Number nine. Bust it, bust it, bust down, bust it, bust it, bust down on the gang. Blue face, baby. Number eight. It's a moment when I show up, got him saying, wow. Honey, bands in my pocket, it's on me. Yeah, your grandma more probably know me. Get more bottles, these bottles are lonely. It's a moment when I show up, got him saying, wow. Number seven. Look what you taught me. Number six. I want to raise your spirits. I want to see you smile. No, that means I'll have to leave. Number five. I just poured something in my cup. I've been wanting something I can feel. Promise I am never letting up. Number four. Then you're left in the dust. Unless I stuck by you. You're a sunflower. I think your love will be too much. Or you'll be left in the dust. Number three. So you can take advantage of me. Tell me how to feel. Sitting up there. Feeling so high. But you far away to hold me. You know I'm the one who put you up. Number two. I That's the moment so many little monsters have been. And I guess, what do we call uh, the Cooperians, Cooperians, Cooperinos, the Coop Troop? Cooper Superfans? Cooper Superfans. A little long, but. I like Coop Troop. It's not bad. Thank you. That's what I wanted. That Coop Troop. <laughs> Fine, we'll go with that. Okay. Oh, that, that one works. Yeah. Okay. All right. Little Monsters and the Coop Troop have been waiting for this moment for a long time. We got. A new number one on the Hot 100, and it indeed is the song Hello" from A Star Is Born. Number one for the first time on Hot 100 in the wake of its best original song win at the Academy Awards. Um, just for the the rundown of statistics for some of the chart fans who like to keep score of what got a song to number one. Um, sales in particular, something that rarely makes the big dent like it used to, but... In this case in particular, um, 115,000 downloads in the last tracking week. Uh, actually, the first song to sell that many copies since Drake's In My Feelings at the height of its powers last July. Streams 2, also a big mover this week, uh, 27.3 million, four stars born. First week in the streaming songs, top 10, uh, which the song had not done in its previous heyday when the movie came out last October. And even Airplay, you know, picking up still this late in the game. Uh, up 10 spots on radio songs to number 27. In terms of audience size, we're looking at just under 35 
million. So all of those new benchmarks for the song. So personally, you know, I, I'm a little surprised that, that, that it had this much momentum left in it. Everyone kind of knew the song by now. It had been out since last October when the movie was coming out. I mean, we'd seen it win at the Golden Globes. We'd seen it win at the Grammys. I really wasn't sure if, you know, if the Oscar win was going to put that much more juice into it. And then there was the moment. And really, I feel like the moment, I mean, if if you can sort of pin down a moment that got a song to number one, it was that almost could have been, are they? They can't be, are they? But they, oh, but they're not. Yeah. But are they acting? But that's not, okay, whatever. That was the moment. That was that was what got to number one. It's just that that summation right there. She, apparently, she's a better actress than, than anyone realized. Uh, Olivia Coleman, give it back. I mean, I'm telling you, that was the, if, if that was Lady Gaga acting, that was the performance of the year right there. Of course, if you know what I'm talking about, we'll fill fill in the blanks for those who don't know. If you have not seen the Oscar clip, she and Bradley Cooper get uh, very close, very personal. A lot of people are just really hoping, wanting, begging, wishing that they are an item. Gaga on uh, Jimmy Kimmel the next night swore that they are not a thing. But of course, that is not satisfying anybody on the internet. I'm just thinking, how about, how about the Bradley Bunch? Um, it's got a, it's got an old school kind of vibe. It's got a, like a suburban vibe to it. I like Coop Troop. I think it's kind of cutesy. Like, it's almost like if he were a, like a, I don't know, like a Disney teen star, like Coop Troop would have been more of a thing, but I don't know. They're, a troop is a great thing. Raindrops are falling on my head And just like the guy whose feet are too big for his bed Alright, so as Shallow goes to number one, it's just the 17th best original song Oscar winner to hit number one on the Hot 100 uh, in the chart's entire history. So uh, Gaga, now an Oscar winner. It's a, it's a songwriter's award, so she's a co-writer of the song. She gets to uh, have a part in uh, winning the award. Uh, yeah, only 17 songs. Feels like uh, maybe you'd think it'd be more. And uh, there's been different times in the Hot 100's history where it was more of a trend. But uh, this uh, millennium, uh, really, it's been uh, incredibly rare. So uh, if you go back to uh, 1969 song we just heard a clip of Raindrops Keep Falling on My Head by B.J. Thomas from Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. That was the first song to win Best Original Song Oscar and top the Hot 100. So uh, obviously, uh, there were years uh, at the beginning. Uh, Best Original Song started in 1934, Hot 100, 1958. So it took, took a little bit of time, but uh, that was the first one. There's got to be a morning after Hold on through the night. Into the 70s, uh, Isaac Hayes theme from Shaft. That was the second one. Uh, this song, Maureen McGovern, The Morning After from Poseidon Adventure. Love that movie. Uh, there's a scene where they actually make fun of the song in it. One of the waiters on the ship says, oh, that's that's an awful song. He, he hates it. But, but the Academy loved yeah, it. Right? So, yeah, so uh, worked out. Uh, 73 and 76, Barbara Streisand doubled up with The Way We Were and Evergreen. And obviously, Evergreen ties into shallow. Soft as an easy so Evergreen, uh, in a sense, the shallow of its time is written for the 1976 version of A Star is Born with Streisand and Chris Christopherson hitting number one. Also, a lot of Gaga fans kind of people leave in destiny and, and fate and all those, those things, uh, noting that today, actually the day we're recording this, March 5th, is the 42nd anniversary of Evergreen hitting number one, which it did 
back in 1977. So uh, lining it up on the same week. So actually at this point in Evergreen's life, it had not won the Oscar yet. That would be coming at the end of March 1977. So kind of in a reverse case maybe where Shallow obviously driven to number one after its Oscars performance and all the award. Maybe Evergreen being a hit just before the Academy Awards helped it out with, uh, with the voters. Fresh number one in their minds. Big hit for Barbara. So maybe that... Uh, and a reverse play helped it get the Oscar. Uh, 1977, uh, record-setting, number one on the Hot 100 for Debbie Boone, You Light Up My Life, won Best Original Song Oscar, first song ever to have 10 weeks at number one on the Hot 100. Uh, no more uh, number ones that won Best Original Oscar until a few years later, but then that started a record run of seven straight years from 81 to 87 of the best original song always going to number one on Hot 100. So uh, Christopher Cross with Arthur's Theme in 1981, Joe Cocker and Jennifer Warren's Up Where We Belong, 1982, uh, this song. Irene Cara Flashdance, What a Feeling, 1983. What's uh, interesting for this song, tying into this week, is uh, Irene Cara co-wrote that song, and Until Shallow this week, no best original song Oscar winner by a female artist was number one on the Hot 100 that she also co-wrote. And the only other female artist to do that, uh, Barbara Streisand with Evergreen. So two of the three from the Star is Born franchise. Uh, 1984, Stevie Wonder, I Just Called to Say I Love You. 85, Lionel Richie, Say You, Say Me. Uh, Berlin, 86, with Take My Breath Away. And I think this is my favorite one of all these 17 songs from Dirty Dancing. And I After that, a little bit of a break. We've always kind of noted how uh, the 80s was such a big time for movie music. Soundtracks just kind of became uh, a trend and just kept uh, momentum, just kept going. But uh, in terms of uh, best original song, Oscar winners hitting number one in the Hot 100, yeah, 87 uh, was the end of that for the 80s. Uh, 1992, number one in 93 for A Whole New World by Peebo Bryson and Regina Bell. And at that point, uh, we kind of see a shift because that's – uh, right before that had been Beauty and the Beast, not a number one on the Hot 100. But uh, we saw Disney starting to really uh, take over when it came to best original song winners. Yo, that the Tim Rice, the Alan Menkins, the I mean, those guys just they were the MVPs of that category for the longest time. And yeah, I mean, hit after hit, Beauty and the Beast, well, Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast after that, Aladdin, you got Pocahontas, you got The Lion King, of course. Um, but a lot of those, I mean, remakes kind of in the, in the Peebo and Regina mold where really some like adult contemporary stars would take those songs and re-release sort of a pop version of it. And, and they would most of them were actually successful, a lot of them hitting like the top 10 of the Hot 100, only Regina and Peebo able to get it all the way up, but kind of in the same vein where in a lot of in the 80s artists we saw, Stevie, Lionel, a lot of those hit makers bridging the gap between albums with soundtracks. There was still kind of that flip in the 90s with trying to get some of these artists to re- recreate some of these songs. I mean, Vanessa Williams doing Colors of the Wind by... From Pocahontas, um, Can You Feel the Love Tonight, Elton John, you know, a huge hit there that he co-wrote as well. So, you know, kind of two different two different ways of approaching how to tackle best original songs. Um, both successful, but obviously the 80s went out in terms of number ones, like you said. All right, moving ahead to 1997, My Heart Will Go On, Celine Dion, another shipwreck movie, number one, after Poseidon Adventure. They didn't make fun of My Heart Will Go On in Titanic. <laughs> 
Uh, yes, yes. Uh, 2002 for Eminem, Lose Yourself, uh, 12 weeks at number one on the Hot 100. And that was it for best original song winning number ones on the Hot 100 until this week. So uh, all these years later, uh, longest gap, uh, 16 years between number ones. So we are, again, saying how all those number ones in the 80s, it just became an annual event that it would go to number one and win. Uh, yeah, 16-year gap ends with Shallow. I mean, Let It Go obviously was up there. Yeah, number five. Uh, but yeah, it got a little more uh, – it just got eclectic really the last uh, decade and a half with some, some uh, organic – uh, folky singer-songwriter stuff that just uh, weren't big pop hits. Yeah, it really became more of a, I guess, I guess you want to call it a songwriter, sort of a craftsmanship award um, in, in a lot of ways more than sort of rewarding, I don't know, this the sleekness or, or, or creativity of pop. I mean, a lot of people maybe who wouldn't have gotten shine other places. I mean, especially at the Grammys or any other music industry circles, um, this really became a, a go-to place for them. All right. So uh, that's one of the huge uh, accomplishments this week for Lady Gaga and Bradley Cooper. So it's got us thinking, is this Lady Gaga's best chart week ever? Well, it certainly is Bradley Cooper's. So I guess we can knock out one of the two for sure. Uh, So uh, let's just run down some of the uh, things she does this week and then we'll look at at what she's done in the past and uh, see if if there's uh, a clear consensus. Uh, So number one on the Hot 100, her first in eight years since Born This Way back in 2011. Uh, Also number one on the Billboard 200, the Star Is Born soundtrack goes back to number one. This is the first time she's ever been number one on both the Billboard Hot 100 and the Billboard 200 simultaneously. So she's had number ones on each chart, but it's never lined up that she's had in the same week the number one song and the number one album. Yeah, I realized in particular uh, going into this how much time passed between the Born This Way single and the Born This Way album. It was like four months between the single coming out and the album. Um, obviously, both of those huge milestone number ones, but yeah, I, th- I thought that I thought for sure that gap was going to overlap, but uh, obviously, no. Well, you mentioned the sales earlier of 115000 for Shallow. It's the first song to sell over 100000 in a week in 30 weeks. That's over six months. Songs just uh, – they just don't sell like they used to. Streaming has uh, totally uh, taken over for downloads. Uh, as we said, one of only 17 Best Original Song Oscar winners to hit number one on the Hot 100. Uh, looking at her career timeline, it's 10 years in now. We just celebrated the 10th anniversary of Just Dance going to number one in uh, it was January 2009. So to have a span of 10 years and still be number one, that's that's Madonna territory over a decade. Uh, Beyonce, Rihanna, they've all done that. Not a lot of artists have done that. To say you're number one, that's you know, Ariana Grande, 10 years from now. Will she still be number one? Not to start a whole separate discussion, but that's that's kind of what's like. Gary finna get the, 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 the fan armies agitated. Also plays into what's so impressive this week is if uh, you just flash back a couple years, Perfect Illusion came out from Joanne, and we weren't having this discussion about Lady Gaga's at the top of her game, this deep into her career, she's still uh, absolutely uh, unquestioned hitmaker. That song was really questioned at that point. Where where is she going at this point? What is she trying to do with that song? It wasn't really received. A lot of mixed reaction to that song, and and here we are. Uh, she's number one now. She's got all these other awards. Uh, what a turnaround just just from a couple of years ago. Yeah, I mean, I think Lady Gaga in the past maybe four years has been this, sort of this series of ups and downs because it felt like really, for me, if you go back to sort of the, the, the 
I would say art pop really is where the line sort of first got drawn when when art pop, um, as most people would probably say, underperformed. Applause, still a top five hit on the Hot 100, but didn't have sort of the same longevity or, or cultural sort of feeling yeah. or wave that Lady Gaga singles had at that point. Album, you know, didn't sell as well. This, the follow-up singles didn't do as well. So comparatively off Born This Way, you know, it, it was a, an underperformer. Uh, then you kind of turn around, has the cheek to cheek reinvention, which I think actually opened her audience to a lot more people than she would have ever reached in just the pop realm. I mean, that she can do jazz, just expanding her range of talents. And by working with Tony Bennett, her audience for those talents, I mean, I know adults who, you know, were turned off by the egg dresses and the meat dress and the, the egg costume for Born This Way. And, you know, she's so weird and she's so spacey and they would never listen to Lady Gaga. But when you sort of take all that away with Cheek to Cheek, then it became this question of, okay, whoa, like she's a great vocalist, great interpreter of songs, um, really, you know, shows her her knowledge of the song book and, and those kind of things. So that kind of got her on a different page. Now, also wrapping this era, you got the, National Anthem performance at the Super Bowl, and you've also got the Sound of Music um, performance she did at the Academy Awards. So that, much like in that cheek-to-cheek vein, sort of expanded what people thought Lady Gaga could do. I mean, for her to be out there taking on the Sound of Music at the Academy Awards for this tribute, people wouldn't have necessarily thought five or so years ago Lady Gaga would be capable of doing that kind of thing, and that would be in her element. But there she is doing that. Then Joanne comes out, and I think a lot of people expected it to be, you know, Gaga's return to form because she had had all these big pop culture, well-received moments up until then, um, working with Mark Ronson as well, who, if you didn't know him before with his, his, his work, you certainly knew him with Uptown Funk, so you knew he was capable of producing massive smashes, really probably one of the hottest producers in the world at that particular moment. And yeah, Perfect Illusion, I mean, certainly a lot of people thought that it would be I think a bigger hit, number 15 on the Hot 100. I think at least top 10, most people would have thought, if not really a number one option. Well, I think Perfect Illusion just uh, was kind of in in the wrong era. It sounded like her earlier stuff, and that just wasn't the sound of uh, 2016. Yeah, I mean, sonically, it was it was a departure. And, and I think it's one of those things where it was sort of a calculated risk where, yeah, I mean, there's plenty of songs that become hits because they stand out. And there's sometimes songs that people are almost, they're not sure what to do with. And I think everyone had this perception of what Lady Gaga, you know, what they wanted Lady Gaga to be or wish she would have come back with Poker Face 3 or Bad Romance 6. And she didn't, you know, to her testament as an artist and a songwriter, she's something she's always kind of been vocal about. She didn't want to just repeat that same formula over and over again. At that point, commercial fortunes didn't quite work out. You're giving me a million reasons to let you go. Got a, got a, got back on track with million reasons and the Super Bowl performance, which the performance itself was actually really, I think, well-received. So that kind of salvaged that particular moment. Um, but yeah, I think I think when, when Joanne wasn't a major hit, people, you know, took that sort of bullish feel about Lady Gaga and put her kind of back into the question mark. It didn't help at that same era. We saw a lot of other pop you know, stars of the 2000s, early 2010s, you know, Katy Perry, yeah. Justin Timberlake sort of start to f- stumble and fumble as well. So I think people, you know, maybe thought that maybe this era of pop star is for the most part over. And maybe maybe we need to make way for the new class of the 2010s, you know, the Beavers, Selena Gomez's, Ariana Grande's, and maybe they're just going to be the new people. So for Gaga, once again, to 
you know, ride that ebb and flow and grab the momentum back with this movie that, I mean, remember, this movie had been kind of in development hell for a while. Clint Eastwood was attached to it for a minute. Beyonce was going to be in it. It felt very muddled, unsure. You know, a little, 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 little worried about what it actually was going to become something when it came out. And then, I mean, these rave reviews, this Best Actress nomination, this Best Original Song win. I mean, Gaga is right there back on top with something that, you know, again, I don't know if people necessarily expected this to be a hit or a hit of this magnitude. But, yeah, I mean, it's funny. Like, the things that people think are going to be hits maybe don't work out that way. And the things that people maybe don't have as much tied into as this is going to be a huge success they're the things that blow up also can we give a shout out to joanne it kind of got some revenge this year at the grammy awards when that uh rendition of joanne where do you think you're going took home the best pop solo performance award so even one of those things like in in the long game you know people thought joanne 2016 it's over it's done with you know gaga still don't count her out she took home a grammy for joanne this very year justice for joanne i'm, te- I'm telling you let's move over glitter we got a new uh, a new plaintiff in town uh, one other uh feat this week ties into gaga's greatest week uh maybe bohemian rhapsody soundtrack is number five on the billboard 200 lady gaga is named after queen's radio gaga so she's outperforming the act after who she's named so when you're doing that you're doing something right it's like if you were named after some famous Trevor and then you did something that was just even more impressive. Trevor Noah, I'm coming for you. Uh, so, yeah, that's everything she does this week. We kind of hit uh, some of these other elements of what she's done in the past. But uh, you know, is a week in the past bigger than what she's done this week? You could uh, look at her very first number one, her first week at number one in the Billboard Hot 100 with Just Dance back in 2009. You could say – Maybe the toughest thing to do is to actually break through in the first place because nobody knows, nobody cares who you are. You've got to have that one hit that really breaks you through. And you could say this week, well, of course, she's been famous for 10 years. Everyone knows who she is. Back then, nobody did. So you could make the case that that was bigger. You know, it's funny. I I do wonder because I feel like in a weird way, maybe it's – and I've never done it. So I'll, you know, I'll put that caveat out there. But I feel like almost a comeback could be harder than that breakout season because – the thing that you don't have is preconceived notions about who or what somebody, you know, this should sound like, this could sound like. I feel like, with you know, maybe with Just Dance came out in the climate, yes, people are going to say, you know, who's this girl, yada, yada. But I feel like if you kind of said, hey, you know, uh, Akon's working with her, you know, she's got this new sound, you know, check this out, check this out. I feel like you maybe would be more receptive to giving that a shot than, you know. Oh, hey, Lady Gaga's got a new single. She's back. And you're like, oh, but, I'm, you know, her last four were not my type. I'm kind of done with her. Doesn't seem to be getting much heat. I feel like it's easier to just dismiss it rather than to take it on in the first place. That's just me. Well, yeah, but pop culture, uh, it's such a fickle audience. Uh, people want to move on to the next big thing. So, uh, yeah, you could say, uh, yeah, you, everyone's had their moment. You want to move on to the next exciting new thing. Yeah, for sure. Bring up uh, Akon. Kind of forget 10 years later how, how much maybe he, he was a big part of that sign becoming a head. Well, yeah, I mean, because Akon, you know, kind of one of those people who never was number one artist like of an era per se, but I mean, in terms of like his businessmen savvy and his relationships, I mean, really like 
in that mid 2000s, you know, a huge player. And yeah, people forget that um, Lady Gaga was signed to, I believe, Def Jam was dropped before her project could come out. And Convict came through and, you know, just, I think he just heard her singing in a hallway or something. Um, you know, got knew she was a songwriter, just got got her involved. And obviously, it, it took her a minute to blow up with Just Dance. But when it, when she blew up, I still think there's no artist that has come out of the gate to this day faster than Lady Gaga did. It felt like between Just Dance, Poker Face, Love Game, Paparazzi, like she just all of a sudden became the it girl overnight. Yeah, I was going to say it wasn't just the song Just Dance or the album. It was uh, it was just the whole the whole package. Suddenly she had she had an image, she had if you want to say brand. Everyone just kind of knew what she was about and that is is not more important than the music, but it certainly helped uh just uh, say, "Yep, we we have a new uh, total superstar." Uh you mentioned Poker Face Great song, number one. But once you've got that momentum of a first number one, maybe that second number one is, in some ways, maybe it's kind of easy to get a second number. Not easy, but uh, in terms of you've got the momentum, at least, really helping you uh, while you're in that run of uh, that that original heyday. Well, Poker Face certainly was the bigger hit around the world. Uh, I mean, it felt like I, I remember I didn't like Just Dance when it came out. I don't know what it was about it, but it was maybe it was something about like. I don't know, and the the lyrics trying to be a little too happy or forced or what I guess I was, maybe I was just like dark and depressed back then. I don't know. But poker uh, face Well, this is what what two thousand eight, two thousand nine? What 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 stage of life were you on at that point? Oh, I'm uh, first of all I'm just joking. But if you want to go really down that road, I was I was at the end of high school. You know, these, uh, this is about senior year when just dance started to break. It's, it's an anxious time. And, yeah. I mean, yeah, sure, sure, sure. Um but I remember just dance. I mean, I, I don't know, I guess I just I don't remember exactly what I was thinking about it, but it just didn't grab me in the same way. Maybe because it was so different than a lot of those sort of moody, not moody, but, um, you know, thoughtful R&B pop that was really popular at that time. But then Poker Face came out and I remember just like, ah, Poker Face was it, just everything about it. Just a little mama, mama, every, every little like element of that song was so well put together. And I mean, yeah, that song was the one I think that blew up even bigger around the world um and so i don't i mean yeah i think poker face obviously could piggyback off of just dance but in my opinion it's the stronger song of the two if just dance had gone to number four or something i still think poker face could have gone all the way it doesn't matter if you love him or capital h-i-m just put your paws up because you were born this way baby Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, 
episode about a couple years later for when this way comes out and in some ways again not not to say easy but sometimes there's that built-in anticipation after you have a huge first album and it could go the other way you could just be a one album wonder and, and you never hit those heights again but uh, for big uh, acts uh, historically uh, it's sort of expected that that first single from the second album is going to be an out-of-the-box number one hit just going back to uh uh, late 80s, early 90s, after Faith, uh, George Michael was so big, you knew the first single was going to be number one. And, and to this day, Praying for Time is yeah, – maybe it's not uh, considered uh, an all-time classic, although I think it's a great song. It, that that anticipation just kind of uh, makes it an automatic number one and seems like with Born This Way, uh, she met those expectations with maybe with what's still her signature song. Well, I think – I mean to that same point, I think uh, a quintessential example of that is Michael Jackson – I just can't stop yeah, loving you. Same thing. I think after Thriller, that was the first single from Bad. And I think, you know, I think Hindsight is it's not his best song. It's kind of, you know, a mid-tempo, kind of fine ballad, maybe something that you wouldn't quite expect from Michael Jackson. But in a way where it's almost like if you could if you could almost throw away a song to make it a number one hit, don't you don't have to waste your best song on being a number one hit. You can kind of get a free number one hit off the lead single. I mean, that was that seemed like almost a a play in itself in that kind of way. Well, I think also I Just Can't Stop Loving You was supposed to be a more high-profile duet, um, potentially Aretha, Barbra Streisand. Hey, there's Barbra Streisand again. And Whitney Houston somehow all turned it down. So maybe they already sort of had the plans for that in motion. And when Saida Garrett was jumped on it, you know, just kind of kept that same framework. But but yeah, that's just – I think that to me is probably the most quintessential example of somebody just getting a number one off momentum and name alone. With Gaga here, and um, I think also when you mentioned sort of the anticipation factor, uh, we can't forget that this song had really been teased for a while because the song comes out in February 2011. But remember, the fall before, in about September 2010, when she wins the MTV VMA for Bad Romance for Video of the Year, she made that bet that she said if she won the award, she was going to give the snippet. And she sang the 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 chorus of Born This Way at that VMAs. So we all knew it was going to be for like six months before it came out. So I think that that hype factor, we knew a little bit of it. We kind of knew what the message was going to be. I think that really played into everybody waiting for it because, you know, we have, you know, it's like when something leaks, it's like you have this this 45 seconds and you just, you just got to know what the whole thing sounds like. And yeah, and I mean, of course, with the message that it came out with and the, the time when, yeah, I guess easy easy to think now, but you know, even in hindsight, maybe eight nine years ago, this wasn't quite as I don't know embraced and accepted in the way that it is. Even just you know five six seven years later, with I think all the the cultural goings on. I mean, I don't know if same sex marriage was still a very contentious political issue in terms of even some of the liberal politicians not quite being out there actively for it. So. I think this was a, yeah, I mean, a huge, I don't want to say shock, but a huge statement forward um, for Lady Gaga and what she would stand for and the audience that she would represent. Yeah, it was uh, not, not a big deal, but I remember we noted it was, it was the first number one to have the word transgender in its lyrics. Maybe now it maybe still be interesting, but maybe not as, as, as big a deal as it was uh, eight years ago. Well, yeah, I mean, it's one thing, I guess, for... There are probably pl- plenty of artists who align themselves, you know, with, with, with the LGBT community, but... I don't know how many you know, at that time would be willing to sort of put it into their song lyrics yeah. like that. So I think that's a huge, a huge gap that she was willing to uh, 
to embrace it and, and and dive full for full force into. Maybe now it won't be. I guess maybe now that same sex marriage is officially constitutional. Um, we've seen a lot more politicians come out in full force um, for for gay rights and and LGBT community and all the sort of adjacent social issues that come with that. Maybe not quite as a shocker. We've seen even. Um, you know, Halsey and Lauren from Fifth Harmony, you know, they're able to have a duet about same-sex love that becomes a Hot 100 hit. You know, it feels like something, one of these things that, even though in the grand scheme of things, it feels like the 2010s will be remembered as a very, you know, entirely progressive decade and whatnot. It's just funny to think that even, yeah, six, seven, eight years ago, I'm not sure how many pop stars will be willing to risk their careers, you know, for some of these issues and Lady Gaga... To her credit, you know, I'm sure she has had this stance for for many years, had no qualms about it, and wanted to put it out there before so many of her pop rivals would even dare of touching it. And uh, you mentioned a million reasons too. 2017, uh, a ballad, her first big uh, piano ballad hit, which now she's had a couple in a row. So uh, you look at all that. Yeah, I don't, maybe it's maybe it's just dance going to number one, born this way going to number one, and maybe. Uh, shallow. Maybe those are her three biggest chart achievements in terms of just overall impact. And uh, yeah, maybe we don't have to pick one that's above uh, any of the others, but it seems like maybe at least those are the three that kind of highlight uh, three of her greatest chart weeks. I mean, I'll be, I will say from, you know, this Gaga season, that will be not that you should necessarily try to top it, but that'll be impossible to top. I mean, just between, gosh, Grammys, BAFTAs, Golden Globes. Academy Awards, the number one hit, uh, the the dual residency that's going on at the same time. I mean, first of all, how did Lady Gaga, sis, you deserve a long rest after this. If you want to take six months, go chill out on the, the, the coast of the French Riviera, bring Asia, take a break. We will not be upset because you have earned this. The promo for the movie, too, on top of that, going all the way back. Gaga, I'm telling you, Gaga has been working so hard. And so I'm sure she really, really, really deserves that. All right. Uh, going way back uh, to the beginning of the podcast, uh, when we played the top 10 on the Hot 100 this week, uh, there was a new song in the top 10 we hadn't heard before. Blueface, uh, first Hot 100 top 10, in at number nine this week. I'm a sucker for you. Also a new song that debuts this week on the Pop Songs Airplay chart. This is in the running, but possibly for number one on the Hot 100 next yeah, week. Yeah, you want to talk about Shallow being an, an ad, like an out-of-nowhere number one. I'm, this would snatch the crown for who saw this coming. Uh, yeah, Jonas Brothers, Sucker, debuts this week on the Pop Songs Airplay chart. Uh, at the moment, as we're taping this on Tuesday, uh, it's trending. If these numbers get a lot bigger, it's a chance the Jonas Brothers – Gonna have their first number one on the Hot 100 next week. Could happen. <laughs> wouldn't that? I mean, wouldn't that rush out a One Direction reunion faster than anything else you could imagine? <laughs> the power of the Jonas Brothers in 2019 stronger than it was in 2009. That's that would be, I, I guess, in in a weird way, it's one of those perks maybe of 
of that social media era is the nostalgia can just be sort of out there and very much visible. I mean, I didn't realize Nick Jonas has like 20 million followers on Twitter. I would not have guessed it had been that many. And I know we obviously had the solo hits, especially in the past five years uh, around the time of Jealous and, and Chains and Levels and things like that. But it's just, you know, people's sort of attachment to when they grew up with the Jonas Brothers is still as strong as we're obviously seeing and maybe even stronger than ever. So it's just it's just one of those those cool things that I think, especially without social media, and and they've been doing a lot of promotion for this song in particular on, on Corden and on a lot of these shows, but it just feels like social media in a lot of ways could get this song to number one. Just that just that connection factor. Well, just that, that built in connection, uh, starting on Disney. If you, uh, you're, you might have literally grown up almost from the start, uh, with the Jonas brothers. This is like lifelong for people who are of that age. I wonder if it's because of the, the time away factor, the reunion factor that's got everybody excited. Cause it's, I mean, there, there are several Disney stars people grew up with who I feel like even, even a return single wouldn't be quite met the same well, uh, boy band reunions obviously are, are always a huge from uh, potential in sync reunions. Uh, we've heard about repeatedly the Backstreet Boys just having a number one album. New Kids on the Block have uh, they reunited about ten years ago and have uh, huge uh, touring uh, since then. So uh, we'll find out next week if uh, Jonas Brothers can get to number one. If not, it's going to be a huge uh, debut, no matter what. All right, uh, we mentioned last week that Lovely the Band's broken. Broke the record for the most weeks ever spent on the Alternative Songs chart, 66. It's now up to 67 this week. Let's find out how that song came about from one of the writers. We've got songwriter and recording artist as well. Sam DeRosa coming up as our special guest this week on the Billboard Sharpie Podcast. Sam DeRosa, thank you so much for coming on the Billboard Sharpie podcast. Thank you for having me. So uh, first up, i just ask you, how does it feel to have a Billboard chart record broken? It's been on the Alternative Songs chart more than any other song in the charts uh, over a 30-year history. It's in, That's insane to me. I, I feel like I nearly crashed my car when I heard that news. <laughs> my A&R at Warner Chapel called me and I was like, wait, are you sure? Are you sure? <laughs> Confirming. Um, it's insane. It just I feel so... Fortunate, you know. I feel very, feel very blessed. I feel very lucky, and I just feel really grateful for everybody who has made all of that happen. Well, take us back to the beginning. What do you remember about uh, the, the absolute first the origins of how Broken came about? I think what's so funny is I brought this up to Christian on the phone when he told me that, hey, just so you know, Mitchie signed a deal. He's in, they're doing this song. I remember going, oh my gosh, like it feels, it felt like kind of yesterday, but also so long ago because we wrote the song. I believe it. I think my notes app in my phone that literally has the chorus written down says June 16th, 2016, I believe it was. Ah. I know it was June of 2016. Um, so to take you back there, I was a struggling artist writer who didn't know anybody who was just trying so hard to meet anyone I could and just kind of get my start in the industry. And a friend of mine had said, you have to meet this guy, Christian. You know, he went to Berkeley just like you did. He's a few years ahead of you, but Basically, he went to Berkeley 10 years before I was at Berkeley. So I said, okay, 
I'll see what happens, you know? And I got in to do a session for my artist project and I'd actually, it was like a work for hire. I paid him to do it. And then he was like, I want to keep working with you. And I said, Oh, thank you so much, but I can't afford you. And he started laughing and he said, no, no, no. I, I think you're a really talented writer and I'd love to write songs from scratch for you, for other people. I'd love to help you. And I was just kind of in awe that somebody was that nice in today's age of music where you hear all these things about people being, you know, keeping their, their, I guess their relations to themselves or their connections to themselves, but he was just so kind. And so he brought me in on a session with um, the young rising Suns, And then we wrote for a couple of like sync stuff. And then he called me one day and he said, Hey, do you remember that friend I told you about Mitchie? He's in that group. Oh honey. And I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. Your best friend, Mitchie, what's up? And he said, well, we are writing for your project, Sam, for this whole week in June, but I feel like we've already gotten some really good songs. So I don't want to cancel your session but I basically told Mitchie that if he's down to write with you, I won't cancel the session and that we can all kind of come in together and write for Mitchie's, what would be now known as his side project that he was kind of starting. And I was like, wow, okay, cool. Are you sure he's down? I don't want to intrude. Like, it's okay. You know, whatever. And he said, no, look, Mitchie's, Mitchie's down to meet you. So I walk into the room and um, I just remember that there was like a bunch of sushi on the futon. Like he, they were eating sushi when I got there. And um, Mitchie was wearing like all black you know, he had like his look already about him and he was just a really interesting person and really nice to me. And Christian and him had this, it was just a drum groove and a guitar was really all it was. And we sat there really, truly hanging out like the whole day. And then the chorus of broken happened because Mitchie started singing. I like that you're broken, broken like me. That's what he had. And, um, honestly, the rest is just that he had this, you know, this desire for this side project, this artist project. And, I feel like I was just fortunate enough to be there to help him tell his story. And he had a note that full of lyrics and all these things that he wanted to say. And I just remember trying to find what rhymes with broken. We were like, uh, lonely, uh, I could be lonely with you. You know, like it was just, it just kind of started being this pass off of lines. And then we went for a walk to the shop down the street, got some tea, got some coffee, got some water, came back, had another idea for another song called emotion, which we wrote, which also went on the lovely, the band EP and album. And it just, Literally, that was it. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. We hugged. It was cool. I saw him again a week later when he was doing something for Oh Honey. And I was just like, cool. What a nice guy. That was a fun day. We'll see. No big deal. And then, I mean, truly two years later, I moved to, well, a year later, I moved to Los Angeles. So now we're in spring of 2017. And Christian texts me and goes, hey, remember those songs? Why don't you sign a record deal? And he's going to be releasing Broken as the first single. And I was like, holy crap. Oh my God. I just moved to LA. This is happening. <laughs> and I didn't think anything of it. But so I moved, you know, we're in LA now and I was like, okay, cool. I guess people say, you know, you check your song on the radio and I checked the alternative charts and I think it was at like 11. And then I looked at two weeks later and it was at 13 and I was like, oh, cool. All right. Well, that was a fun run. It was cool to have that. And I just stopped. And then four or five months later, it's getting towards Christmas. And I as Christian had just finally moved to LA. So now everyone's in LA and he says, dude, how crazy that that broken's like going to be like number one, probably next year if it keeps going. And I was like, wait, what? I had no idea what he was talking about. I mean, I just had no idea. And I was keeping myself kind of out of the loop just for sanity wise. I was like, I don't want to be that person who just looks at the charts. I want to remember how it felt to write the song. And I want to just be so grateful that I was there, you know, like anything to me is just a gift because it's so hard to have a career in the music industry that I was trying not to go there. And then once I found out, I couldn't stop looking. I was just like, go, go, go. And then it, um, it went, it went number one and then it stayed number one. And then it went number two and then it went back to number one. And um, it's just been insane. You know, I just, I can't believe it. And I'm so happy for them. 
I just have to say, for the sake of the podcast, Christian and Mitchie have been best friends for over 10 years doing music together. So the fact that I was even in the room that day and a part of their story, I just feel really grateful because they're they're cool guys and they deserve it. And they've been doing this for so long. It's just been a really magical thing, really. <laughs> yeah. So as you mentioned, um, we actually premiered the song on Billboard.com. Um, it'll be almost two ye- Well, it will be two years next month. So when you talk about sort of the long ride that this song has taken, I mean, when we 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 talk, talked about it back in 2017, you know, as their debut single, and then here we are, almost two years later, looking at this record-breaking hit. So, uh, also as part of that, you know, not only has it been a big hit on the alternative format, but also made waves into pop music as well. Did you have any expectation that it would be also a number one hit on the adult pop side, or was that just more sort of icing on the cake for for something that is this out of the box smash? That was. Yeah, that was icing on the cake. That was crazy. Actually, what what happened was I had a session with Christian right when he had told me, you know, Broken's doing really well, right when he said to start checking the radio and I thought it fell off. He said something, I don't want to misquote him, but I remember him saying something along the lines of K-Rock out here in LA was a huge supporter of the song. They were just like the first people, I guess, to really bite on it and really care and really push it. And um, I guess what happened was they, someone at K-Rock, I think, had called the label Sony Red and said, "Hey, this is performing the like along the way that Shut Up and Dance did that like alternative song that leans pop." And they kind of had just like let them know in advance, "You're not going to be crazy if you put if you push this to pop radio, it could do well." And I think that was just a conversation. But I think in the back of my mind, I was hoping so. I was like, "Oh my gosh, I remember where I was when I heard Shut Up and Dance." So to know that people somewhere are feeling the same way about Broken that they remember when they heard it, where they heard it, it just was so cool. And then when it went there. I guess it kind of confirmed that that whoever that person was that called it a year before they were right, you know, and it's it's wild. And it's it's, it's sort of dark lyrically, but it's uh, at the same time it's hopeful. So it feels like there's kind of something for everyone, mm-hmm. whether you're looking uh, glass half full or, or glass half empty. Yeah, I think what's really beautiful about that that part of the song is I had just met Mitchie that day for the first time. I had no idea what he was going through, and I'm kind of an open book, but he's not, you know. And I, I really respect that about him that he's private with some of the stuff that he's feeling and you know I was a total stranger and he didn't have to he didn't have to even start with that idea or have this idea or start singing I like that you're broken like me but he did and the fact that he trusted me with that without even telling me what he was going through at the time I felt I still feel really grateful for that because later when I saw him when they sold out the Roxy and sold out the Troubadour he sold out the Roxy the night that Broken went gold and I was in the audience and standing next to Don and everybody you know from Sony Red and I just was kind of just just I, I like cried a little bit because he started crying and he said, I wrote this song during one of the darkest periods of my life. You know, I had almost given up. I really thought that this was it for me. And I had no idea, you know, because at some point you don't want to push too much. You want to try to like my job. And that was he was an artist and it was my job to try to help him tell his story or just make him feel safe enough where he could write something, you know, and whether or not he went, whether he wanted to go back and change it later. That's totally his his call, you know, but in that, in that moment, he brought that and I had no idea what he was going through. I just resonated with it myself and knowing now two years later, just how, how important that moment was to him. I just feel really grateful and I'm really proud of him because I feel like, I mean, look at that, you know, you write this song that's so vulnerable. You have no idea what's going to do, but everyone winds up relating to it. And the next thing you know, you're selling out the troubadour and your song goes gold and then goes platinum. I mean, it's just, it's such a wild experience. This song has been and, Everyone keeps telling me, oh, you know, this doesn't really happen. This is not normal. But 
I guess in my brain, I just keep feeling like maybe, maybe we're not normal. You know, maybe the three of us were meant to be in the room that day because it couldn't have been more opposite. You know, like yeah. Mitchie, this awesome rock star, me, this total sugar plum pop tart, and Christian, just this hilarious middleman who was friends with both of us, who just made it all happen. I mean, it couldn't have been. I guess more magical that day and I'm very grateful for it. I can't say that enough. <laughs> I like that you broke and broken like me. Maybe that makes me a fool. I like that you lonely, lonely like me. I could be lonely with you. I like that. So for you, you as you broken, like you know, teach songwriting to kids, I'm curious from from your perspective because in terms of singing, you know, there's there's sort of a way to measure, I guess, how how you're a better singer. You can hit certain notes, you can have a better range, you can have better quality. It's sort of sort of easy to identify. As a songwriter, you know, how do you feel or how do you know that you're getting better at songwriting? Because it's such a subjective art. I mean, it must be sort of. Is it hard to measure? You know, or, or, or how do you how do you reconcile that? Like, how do you just get to feel and know that you're a better songwriter? What, what steps or what ways can you improve? That's such a good question. That's actually a really good question. Cause it is such a subjective thing, you know, like, and I'm the girl who has a degree in songwriting and in a way it's like, what, what does that mean? Right. <laughs> but I, I feel like, um, I think a way to know if you are growing as a writer is when you can find the ways to get unstuck. I feel like that was a really big thing of why I went to Berkeley in the first place you know, you don't need a degree necessarily, but I knew that with anything, if you don't know, you know, other, other doors, you're going to get stuck if you feel like you're always stuck in the same place. So I wanted to find ways, you know, second verse hell, how do you get yourself out of it? And I also feel as a writer, you'll feel like you are growing when you're more comfortable in a room, when you find it coming faster, when I think the more you do it, I know that it's so cheesy when people say practice makes perfect, but it's really important. And I feel like for me as a writer, I feel like I got better because I just kept doing it. I had to write crap. You know what I mean? I had a teacher at Berkeley who told me crap is the best fertilizer, which is true. <laughs> so he always just said, write crap. That would be my whole life. And the first day that I met these kids, I actually say that every day I meet them. I said, I'm Sam and I want you guys to write crap. And they all look at me like, oh, she said crap, you know? And I said, I want you to write crap. I said, what are, when, when, who knows what happens on a farm? How do they grow all the crops? And someone raises their hand and they go, oh, the, the cow, the cow poop. And they like whisper it. I go, yeah. I was like, cause it fertilizes something amazing. That's going to grow. I was like, so don't be afraid to write bad songs. That's what I was told. And that's why I'm still here. You have to be okay with that. You got to be able to write bad stuff. Cause that's how you get the good. And I just believe that. I think the more you do anything, you'll just instantly find yourself getting better. And that's what happened for me, at least. I started figuring out, you know, windows to go through. And I'm like, okay, I'm stuck on this verse. What do I do? But, oh, well, we haven't talked about this yet. Or can we approach it from this angle? Or maybe there's a melody. Just the more you listen to other music, can you start it on one? Can you come in behind the beat? Can it be a pickup? Like little things to just switch it up. So I keep kind of tools in my back pocket. And I just keep applying them. And that's when I realized I was growing. And now I just show them to little kids. You know, I kind of give them little cheat sheets. I give them my email. I say, keep in touch, send me songs. And it's cool to watch them grow. Cause you're right. Not everyone's a singer, you know, not everybody is a singer, but I think that even that is so subjective because some people have amazing voices, but don't know how to use them, you know? And I don't think that I have the most amazing voice, but I feel like I found a way to bring the emotion into a story. And that's how I've deem myself a good singer. You know, and I think the same thing goes with songwriting. You don't have to be a pop writer to be a great writer. 
it's just a matter of you finding your niche and being really good at it. And the only way to be really good at it is to start by being really bad at it and being okay with that. You know, too many people give up. I never thought of it in terms of, of, of having sort of tips and tricks and things like that. And I mean, getting unstuck, I think that's a great way to measure it because I think a lot of people think that, you know, even, I don't know, um, Alicia Keys or somebody just can kind of sit down and just, you know, churn it all out. And it's, it's, it's like a great way to sort of reevaluate, I guess, how, you know, you approach certain songs and even the way you can break down songs. What did they change here? That, yeah. that, that phrase second verse hell, I thought was really apt because I, I mean, how many songs do we know that have a great opening, great opening line, great chorus. And then that second verse, you know, they kind of just, it just kind of is a way to pedal between the first chorus and second chorus. But, yeah. But like, totally. or people just give up and stop writing it. They think that it's, they don't know what to do with it next. And so I just try to mean for anyone listening, I just say, okay, what have you not talked about yet? Like, can you bring it to a location? Can you go into like an internal feeling, talk about like sensations, maybe like fingertips or something tingling? Like, what can you bring in there on that next part of the song? And I feel like there has to be that organic, creative way into songwriting at all times, but having those tools make it easy because then you can allow yourself to step out of that. When you feel like the creativity flow is stopped, you can then use your logic and say, okay, how do we get unstuck? What are all the ways that we could try to do this? You know? I'm not even a songwriter, but now I feel like I want to go try try it out. Like that marriage. Go of- do it. Go. <laughs> do it. If you can sing in the shower, that makes you a singer. So just go write a song. Okay. okay. Watch out on the charts when I'm, when I'm knocking you out of number one. Don't come. Don't <laughs> come at me. I want to hear it. Yeah. You can write songs. I'll, I'll have broken and you can have together or I don't know, fixed and we'll just, we'll compete them. <laughs> What were your influences uh, growing up, uh, Sam? And were you, were you studying song structure uh, that deeply, uh, even from the start? Well, my mom, if we take it way back, my mom tried out for my dad's rock band when um, they were teenagers in the Bronx, and they have been together ever since. So my mom was, you know, Stevie Nicks, Fleetwood Mac. She loved Madonna. She loved all of that. And my dad loved Rush and means the band Yes and Pink Floyd and Deep Purple. So I felt like for my dad, I got all these like crazy, just musical things. And my mom always had the radio on. So I feel like I was this hybrid of respecting the craft of what it is to be a musician and the simplicity of a three and a half minute pop song, you know? So I, so when I first taught myself piano, when I was a little kid, a lot of people have that story. I, I feel like I've I've told some of my friends this recently where I hear a lot of writers say, oh, you know, I was so, so shy as a kid or I didn't know what to say. So I'd like get into my little corner, my, you know, whatever. And I'd write this down and that would be my song. For me, it was that I had so much influence around me and I was the middle child of five and I never knew how to shut up. I talked so much. So for me, it was like Tetris, you know, I fell in love with this. I fell in love with songs like Landslide. And then I heard Torn and then I would hear Madonna and then I would listen to just NSYNC and the early 2000s pop. And I thought it was just, it felt like a perfect little game of Tetris where everything was so organized. And I was like, oh my gosh, cool. So when I wrote my first song, it really for me was this challenge where I was like, all right, girl, you have three and a half minutes, get to the point, you know? And that was how I started writing songs. I was like, okay, cool. Maybe, maybe this is only one song. Maybe I actually have seven songs here and I don't have to put all this information into one song. And that's what happened. But influence-wise, it was like a little bit of rock and roll and a whole lot of pop music, for sure. You've been fairly vocal about uh, writers' uh, rights. Uh, Sounds like that's a big passion of yours as well, not only the art, but making sure that writers are compensated fairly for that art. Yeah, I mean, thank you for bringing that up. I think it's so important. I feel like, I don't think that I'm there yet in my career where my platform 
is nearly big enough, but I really want to get to a point where, you know, I feel like, I feel as though as writers and as artists and things, we all have stuff that we want to say, you know, and once people pay attention, I think it's really important to focus on the things you say outside of your music as well. And I, you know, some people don't choose not to be political and I totally respect that. But I think in a world where social media and all of these platforms are available to us, where we, we can be a little more visible and we can speak up and we can influence others. I think it's really important. And I think as far as songwriters, you know, we're, we're kind of the silent bobs where some people don't know we exist. You know, people think that Beyonce just wakes up as beautiful as she is and goes down to her piano and just starts playing and singing and writing a song called Halo. And, you know, they don't know that it was a bunch of guys, you know, 5 a.m. still haven't slept yet getting a song and that's how that happens. You know, like I, I feel that a lot of people don't know that we exist. And when the Music Modernization Act came up and I saw what it was about and I saw that it was going to create this sort of just database and platform where we could see the money we're making, even if we don't have it yet, we're aware of what's going on. It's cool that it's finally happening because I think it's so important for us to know, you know, not every songwriter is a, is a 25 year old who's, who's crushing it somewhere and has no family and just like lives their dream and goes to Bali. Most of these people live in LA, which is one of the most expensive cities to live in. Most of them live in New York. Most of them have families, you know, as I someday want to be that writer artist who can create a family of my own. And I intend to make money doing what I love in music. And I think that we have to really speak up and, and give writers a voice and producers too. We just have to speak on this royalty rate that was outdated for the last, I mean, what, 60 years, I believe it was, you know, basically back when piano scrolls were written in piano bars, back when movies were black and white, people would write piano music to put into the scrolls of piano bars. The amount that you would get from that, that rate, I think it was what point like nine cents or nine, something like that, whatever that rate was, I don't remember off the top of my head, is still to this day what we were getting. So what was sold when, when albums were sold, when records were sold, that was the amount that you got per copy of when your song was sold. So since the early 1900s, we have not changed the royalty rate for writers. And this act has finally changed that. We're only changing it, but we're going to be able to know where our money's going, where it's coming from, when it's coming, and just be more aware and in control. And I think that that's really important. And if anything, it just lets people know that songwriters exist. So I hope that in the next five years or so, I can be, you know, someone who has a platform like Ross Golan or Max Martin. And they, and I could just speak to these issues because I really would love to not only be a woman in the industry who who's aware of these things and, and educated on it, but I just want to be a role model to young writers and a friend and a voice. And I think it's just so important. Set me free. We're not in love, but we're not in We've got uh, a couple of our new songs out uh, right at the moment. Uh, Hate Me, your own song. You're also featured on uh, Sachi's Worst Behavior. So it sounds like uh, Broken is, is really just the beginning, Sam. Now you've uh, got your own mm-hmm. voice out there on, on new music. It sounds like this is really just uh, going to be a continuation of uh, you putting your art out there and uh, having people respond to it. Thank you so much. You guys are seriously so awesome. Yeah, my single Hate Me's out. And uh, yes, yeah, Sachi, the feature Worst Behavior with Sachi. Such a fun song. And yeah, I guess I feel like I'm just kind of catching myself every time, being really, really grateful for everything that's happening and hoping that it's only going to be more and just going to keep working my butt off until it keeps coming to fruition. So I hope 
anybody listening feels inspired and does the same because there's plenty of room and plenty of space for everyone, every creative in this world to have a place in music for sure. And want to give a mention also, um, if you're going to be in the Austin area, I saw on your Instagram uh, yesterday, you said you'll be playing South by just in the next couple of days on the 13th for the first time. So obviously that's got, yeah, that's got to be really exciting. Oh, thank you so much for mentioning it. First off. Um, Yeah. So I'm playing South by for the first time. Woo. I hope that people just feel like without ever meeting me, they know me. I really just want to be that kind of like tangible, relatable artist because I feel that my live show is fun, but also emotional. I say that I dance through my problems. So they're kind of like fun, upbeat grooves over like really confrontational relationship lyrics. And I guess I just hope that when people see me for the first time, they feel like they've known me forever and that I'm their friend and that I'm approachable. And I hope that I have songs that resonate. We feel like Trevor and I need to send a check to Berkeley after this uh, interview. I feel like we learned so much <laughs> based on what you've uh, learned and just your own knowledge, Sam. You're so nice. <laughs> Thank you guys so much. I mean, just it's so just I know that this interview is supposed to be about me for sure, but I just wanted to say it's so cool that you guys do this. I think it's so awesome that Billboard is not only a place that, you know, shouts out charts and lets people know what's what's hip and what's going on, but you also interview people, you give people a a moment for those who haven't had it yet. You know, my first ever anything that was cool was the fact that I was interviewed in in Billboard two years ago, and it was the coolest thing ever for me. And the fact that, you know, have this podcast that talks to songwriters and to artists and just, it's just really cool that you guys have used every, every inch and every ounce of what Billboard is. And I just am so appreciative that you called me. I'm really, really grateful for that. Thank you so much, Sam. It comes down to the songs. We don't exist without songs, and songs don't exist without songwriters. So uh, so thank you <laughs> at the same time. Thank you. If you're in Austin, come by. <laughs> thank you so much, Sam. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much, guys. Have a great rest of your day. Yeah, that was awesome. You too. Take care. Podcast this week going back 37 years, 1982 history being made by the Go Go's. Beauty and the Beat, their debut album, went to number one in the Billboard 200 March 6, 1982. Became the first all female rock band to hit number one 37 years later. Still never happened. Go Go is the only all female rock band with a number one album on the Billboard 200. So a while back, interviewed Jane Weedland of the Go Go's. She remembered exactly when the Go Go's found out that they'd hit number one. We were hyper aware of our position on the charts because, of course, we'd never been on a chart before. So, yeah, we the 1981, the year Beauty and the Beat came out, we were working and touring over and over. We just kept circling around America. Each time we did, we were at a slightly higher level. We went from really tiny clubs, ended up in stadiums. And all along, we were watching the charts, and our manager, Ginger, would tell us every week our number in the charts. And it was unbelievably exciting to listen to the number get higher and 
and higher every week. And the week we went to number one, we were on tour opening for the police, and they gave us champagne and congratulated us because we actually passed them by on the charts. Jane Weedland on the Billboard Chaffee podcast. Uh, I know some people may maybe think Belinda Carlisle because she, uh, the lead singer for the most part on Go Go Songs, but uh, Jane Weedland uh, sings that famous part, The Bridge of Our Lips Are Sealed, and a couple of great albums she had in the 80s, uh, 90s as well, uh, Rush Hour, top 10 hit in 1988. So uh, yeah, flashing back to history that still hasn't been repeated by the Go-Go's on the Billboard Sharpie podcast. Uh, that wraps it up this week, uh, talking uh, from Gaga to the Go-Go's. I think we covered it all. That's pretty good. Gaga, Go-Go, I like it. There's something... Yeah. Coop Troop? Yeah, that, yeah. Coop, again, these... These double vowels are really helping us out here. All right. We'll uh, talk to you next week. We'll see if uh, Shallow is still number one, if Seven Rings, Ariana Grande uh, goes back to number one, or if it's Jonas Brothers next week. We'll be, we'll be talking about them no matter what, but we'll see uh, where they are in the top ten next week. And in case you have missed your dose of the Jonas Brothers in the past decade, we'll flip the script back to 2008. Ah, oh, almost 11 years ago with – what very well could become their second highest charting Hot 100 hit as soon as next week. Before Sucker arrives on the chart, we will reacquaint you with this one. It is the one, the only, Burning Up. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.